How are you guys? My name's Doug, one of the pastors. How are you guys this morning? Yeah, you look good. You sound like kind of good, like you're sort of kind of good. You're like, good. Hey, I'm with you. I'm actually tired this morning, so pray for me. It's been a busy week, and um, in my family, I'm not even the one who's pregnant with twins, so... <laughs> That's me. Um, anyways, uh, can I just say breakfast was delicious this morning. Thank you guys so much for bringing food every single Sunday. Uh, Ashley, Ryan, Paige, Shannon, uh, Steve, different guys. Thank you for volunteering, coordinating that, making that happen every Sunday. I love it because it gives us opportunity to build relationships and meet new people in our church while at the same time like filling our bellies. And I appreciate that a lot. So this morning we are going to dig into the scriptures and I'm excited if you have your Bibles and you haven't gone there yet, go to Philippians chapter one and you're going to want to open that Bible up or you're going to want to open your app and go there. We're going to start in verse 18. Last week, Eric walked us through verses 12 through 18 and he helped us see how Paul, oh, Netflix, Sorry. is that better than me? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Okay, let's binge watch Netflix. Okay. Anyways, Eric helped us see how Paul kept the main thing the main thing. And for Paul and also for us, the main thing is the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. Now this week, we're going to step into like how that plays out, how that works out in our lives. If last Sunday was like the rallying cry, let's keep the main thing the main thing, this Sunday is like the seminar. Well, how are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? And we're going to do it a little bit different this week. We're going to do some Bible study this Sunday. As I was preparing the last couple of weeks and just kind of looking into this text, I was like, there's so much. It's so rich. It's beautiful. And I thought, you know what? Instead of me just doing a one-sided monologue this morning, let's do some interaction and like let's invite people to actually open their Bibles and study it themselves as well. So I love preaching. I love one-sided monologues. I think that is an appointed way for God's Word to get into God's people. But we're in core team season. And in core team season, we're working hard to equip our core team, get you guys ready, help you guys be disciples so that you can make disciples, all that good stuff. By the way, if you hear this Sunday, we're in core team season, so it's messy and we're working hard on core team. And congratulations, you get to be a part of our core team, okay? Just by virtue of being here, you get to experience it and be a part of it. So we're going to do some Bible study this morning. Go to Philippians 1. Can I have that back? Are we good to go? Okay, Eric even like got me this fancy little thing here. So, am I on? Okay, here we go. Our church, we have four values. I do feel like an instructor, Aaron. So I'm going to try to make it like engaging as we go, but you guys track with me. Our church has four core values. These are our family traits. Those values are... Wow, this is so... Let me down. Down. There we go. Down, up... And then we got in and out, right? 
Those are our four values, our family traits. And so a key part of the down process, the down value, is us being able to study our Bibles, to dig in and say, what is God saying to us? God came to us in the person and work of Jesus. God has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And so key part of down is, what is God saying to us? I want us to be a church who can say, hey, I got a word from God this morning because I read and studied my Bible. And it's similar to um, my house. Lord willing, in the creek don't rise, here in a couple months, we can invite you guys out to our house. And it's, I think it's going to be beautiful, fun. I think you guys are going to love it. And what you guys are going to see is the surface of the house. You're going to see the walls that got painted. You're going to see the outside of it. But what guys like me and Bill and Josh and Joe and Nathan, what we've seen is the inside, the innards, kind of the, the structure that makes up the house and supports it. And when we've seen the innards of it, it only makes me appreciate the outside surface even more, right? There's going to be guys walking and go, I remember putting two by fours there and hoping it would stay standing and it's still standing, right? When you know the innards and the structure of something, it makes the surface of it all the more beautiful. Every Sunday when Eric or Chuck or I like preach a sermon, you're getting the surface of it. And all week long, we've been digging into it, sorting, working it out, getting into the innards of it, and then bringing the surface of it to you guys in a sermon. Pretty much every single week when we're digging into the scriptures, the Holy Spirit preaches a sermon to us, and then we try our best to take notes from the ghost so that we can turn around and preach that sermon to you guys. Does that make sense? So the preachers kind of get an advantage. We get double the blessing because we get to do all that prep work and digging and studying, all the richness of that, then turn around and present that to you guys. It'd be like if we went to Baskin Robbins and I got two scoops and only gave you one, right? Or we went to Maddox Bakery and I bought two donuts and only gave you, or, and only bought you one donut. You'd be like, hey, that's not fair. Exactly. So this morning, I'm going to help you get two scoops or two donuts, okay? Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 18. If you got your Bibles, go there. And we're going to pick up right where Eric left off. It says, Yes, and I will rejoice for... I know that through your prayers... Now, pause right there. What I want you to do in your Bibles, underline or circle. And if you uh, got your Bible open on an app or a tablet or something like that, then like mark this down in your notes. If you need more programs or pens, Bill can pass them out from the back. But what I want you to underline or mark is and, the word and, and the word for. Okay? And and for. Those are connecting words. If you go back, all the way back to grade school grammar class, you'll remember connecting words. Connecting words are the words that connect ideas. They are what take different thoughts and emotions and they put them together. So examples of connecting words are and, for, but, therefore, um, as yet, only. Um, let's see, what are some others? So that. All of these are connecting words. Connecting words are crucial because they are what hold the Bible together, okay? So, if, it, if there were no connecting words, the Bible would be like a series of truth statements, but they wouldn't be 
connected together. But with connecting words, all these different truth statements kind of come together. Um, They're like the ligaments of the Bible. Whenever the connecting words are in there, they bring the thoughts and ideas together, and then the Bible becomes alive. It takes on flesh. It has a body. It has movement. It's living and active. And that's what the connecting words do for us. So here's what I want you to do, okay? We're doing Bible study this morning, getting trained, getting equipped. I want you to read verses 18 through 21. And I want you to circle or underline the other connecting words that you see. Do that real fast. Just quick underline, circle. What are other connecting words that you see? Okay, you're looking for ands. Yes. Oh, I use the English Standard Version. Um, any, any version will do. I do prefer the English Standard just because it tends to be more literal. And I don't know the original Greek or the original Hebrew. So I have to go with the translators and hope they did their best job. So other guys know those languages. Um, okay, so you guys got some connecting words going? Doing some Bible study with us? Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use those connecting words and I'm going to actually draw these Bible verses. I'm going to draw or outline Paul's flow of thought, okay? So track with me. First he says, For I know that this will turn... Or no, he says, sorry. Yes, and I will rejoice. He starts with that. Yes, and I will rejoice. Then he says, For... I know this will turn out for my deliverance. So that four there, it's like a because. Four equals because. I'm going to rejoice because I know this will turn out for my deliverance through, and then he gives us through, uh, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. So you guys see how I'm just kind of drawing this out, making indentations, just helping me think my way through the passage to get what is Paul trying to say. Let's keep going. The next one kind of bounces back out a little bit, as it is, because as it is connects back up to, yes, and I will rejoice. As it is my eager expectation that I will not be at all ashamed, but another connecting word, which tells us, hey, I'm with courage. I don't think I'm going to be ashamed. Instead, but with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body. And then as always, and then whether by life or by death. Okay? So now we're just kind of tracking his thoughts. We're trying to draw his thoughts. We're just trying to understand, Paul, what are you saying? And then he comes to his last connecting word, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, stop right there. Did you guys get your connecting words? Did you circle them? You're kind of tracking with it? And then what helps me is when I diagram that out, it helps me understand what is important in Paul's mind. So the way I see him going, yes, and I will rejoice for, through, and, and then he kind of bounces back out and he's saying, I'm going to rejoice because it's my eager expectation that I will not be at all ashamed because of this, but instead of this, that sort of thing. And then he comes back to for, To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The way he's going is you can see him emotionally building up to that verse 21. He's lining all these thoughts up, all these phrases up to get us to verse 21. He's saying, the reason for all this is because for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That tells us that verse 21 is an important verse. 
All of them are important, but we need to focus in, key in on verse 21. If you were to draw the emotions of this passage, over here would be verse 18, over here would be verse 21. The emotions would do something like this. And you're peeking at verse 21 saying, yeah, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what we want to do now is zoom in on verse 21. Now, let me pause here. You're going to want to write this down. What we've been doing for the last five, seven, eight minutes is called observation. That is step one of Bible study. Observation. And I'm not going to spell it out because I don't think it will fit. Okay? You observe. You're asking the question very simply, what does this say? Okay? You're not trying to read between the lines. You're not trying to apply it to your life yet. You're just saying, hey... What does this say? Plain Jane. And what we use to figure out what it says is connecting words and sentence diagramming. There's other tools, but these are the tools that we got to today. Now we're going to turn a corner because we got to verse 21 and we're like, hey, this is important. And we're going to go to step two, which is, anybody know step two? Whoa. Interpretation. Okay. So we did observation, we looked at that. Now we're going to go to interpretation, and we're asking the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? We've gotten to to live as Christ and to die as gain. What does that mean? What could that mean? To live as Christ. That could mean that Jesus gives me hope, so I keep living, even through the hard times. I don't get down, I don't give up. Um, To live as Christ, it could mean like, Oh, to live as Christ. He's my number one priority. You got Jesus, then family, then work, you know, something like that. Or Jesus is the big rock and you got to put him in first before you put the little rocks in. To live as Christ, what does that mean? Maybe that means I need to be a better Christian or I need to read my Bible more. What does it mean? Okay? To answer what does it mean, shockingly, we find the answer to that question in the Bible itself. This is one of the beautiful things about the Bible. When you ask a question of the Bible, the Bible itself will usually answer your question for you. So there's a lot of things that to live as Christ could mean, and we're going to go look in the text itself to find out what it means. To do this, we're going to actually do some, stay with me, columns. And we're going to compare and contrast, okay? Paul has given us two big ideas. First one is to live equals Christ. You guys got that? Draw these columns out in your notes. The other one is to die equals gain. Okay? Pretend like there's an I in there, okay? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are our two big ideas. Paul is sitting in his apartment. He's under house arrest. Something's going to happen. Either they're going to say, hey, you can keep living. And Paul's like, oh, living is Christ. Or you're going to die. And he's going to die in his gain. So life or death, that's what's going on in Paul's mind. What do those mean? Guess what? Paul's going to tell us what they mean. Let's keep reading. Go to verse 22. In verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, so we know that we're in this column over here, living is Christ. If I am to live in the flesh, that means... I just love it when the Bible makes it so easy for us. What does this mean, Paul? He's like, well, that means, right? Lovely, Paul. That means fruitful labor for me. So write down fruitful labor. Labor. That means fruitful labor for me. And parents, if your children are in here, I just apologize for my handwriting already. Children, learn handwriting skills. It's really important. It would come in handy if you ever preach a sermon in front of people. 
So the first thing that to live as Christ means is fruitful labor. Now let's keep going. Go to the next verse. Uh, no, we'll finish verse 22. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So he's kind of like, do I want to keep living? Do I want to die? Like, which do I want? Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Depart connects me back to to die as gain. So I'm just going to write depart over here on this side. Okay? To die as gain means depart and be with Christ. To die as gain equals with Christ. Keep going, and he says, for that is far better. And I'm just going to write the word better. So from that verse, we got three descriptions, three meanings of what it means to die is gain. Let's keep going. Next verse, verse 24. Are you guys writing this stuff down? I think you are. Write it down. This is going to be helpful later this week when you're reading your Bible at home alone with your cup of coffee in the morning. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh. So now Paul's back to the other side of the column, right? Remain in the flesh, stay alive, is more necessary on your account. So I'm going to write, okay, it's necessary. This is like needed. Paul wants this to happen. It's more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, that it's more necessary on your account that I stay alive, I know that I will remain And I'm going to write the word remain because he has said it now three times. He keeps saying remain, remain, remain. He's with the church. He's like, for me to stay alive means I remain with the local church. To remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. So he's like, oh, I need to stay alive for your sake, to remain with you for your progress and joy in faith, in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. By my coming, or because of my coming to you again. Okay. So do you see kind of here, here's our table here. Wow, that looks horrible. <laughs> wow. I'm so sorry for my handwriting. I hope you guys are writing better so you can actually read it this week. So we got our two columns. Now what we can start doing is getting some meaning, right? Normally to live is Christ. It makes a great bumper sticker. That sounds so awesome. Be a better Christian. But now we have like specific meanings that Paul has here. So then what does to live as Christ mean? It means fruitful lab. A fruitful, oh my goodness. Fruitful labor. Pretend that I wrote an OR on there too. Fruitful labor in the local church. To live as Christ means we're working and serving in the local church. It means it's necessary. The church needs that. It means we remain in the church, right? There's a connection. We're vitally woven into the fabric of a church. It means we're doing that for the progress and joy of faith. Not just our own progress and joy in the faith, but for the progress and joy in the faith of our friends. It means they glory in Christ because of me. So you put all that together and you're going, oh, to live as Christ means I lay down my life for the local church. That's incredible. Now, who of all the people you know in history is the person who laid down his life for the church? Christ. To live is Christ. To live, if I keep living, that means I lay down my life for the church. Do you guys see how that all connects together? Now all of a sudden, to live as Christ isn't just something that makes you feel like you should be a better Christian. It means I can tangibly and practically go serve my local church. Be vitally connected to my city group so that when I go to city group, I can tell stories of what Jesus has done for me and people leave city group going, yes, Jesus is awesome. They're glorying in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It gives you feet to run with. Okay, let's go to the other column. To die is gain. What does that mean? 
Right? Is death gain just because you go to a pain-free existence and you get to like lay it on the beach without ever getting sunburned and drink margaritas without ever getting drunk? Is that like why death is gain? And Paul's going, no, no, death is gain. Yes, you do depart. You leave. And it's gain because you were with Christ. It's better because you are with Christ. Christ is the gain of death. So now all of a sudden death is gain doesn't mean like in heaven playing a harp on a cloud. It means with Jesus in His presence. And He is so much better than anything else in life. Do you guys see that? We're getting some meaning by drawing our two columns. Okay? Hang with me. we got one final step. Okay? So we've observed. We asked what does it say? Now we've gotten some meaning from it. What does this mean? Now step three... Last one is, anybody want to guess this? Application, exactly. You apply this, and this is where you ask, what does this change in my life? Okay, observation, interpretation, application. What does this change in my life? I've seen what it said. I'm kind of picking up a little bit of what it means, but what does that change in my life? What does that do to me? How should I live differently? And when it comes to application, there's different ways you can do it. In some ways, like application, you can just do it intuitively. You're just like, oh, okay. If living as Christ means laying down my life and serving in the local church, being vitally connected, then I should ask the question, Am I vitally connected to a local church? Do I have friends who they're making progress in their relationship with Jesus because of me? Is my city group glorying in Christ because I'm willing to open up and share my struggles and then they speak into my life about who God is and who Christ is and what He has done for me, right? We can ask those questions. And if right death is gained because Christ is better, then we could ask the question, well, if that's true about heaven, then... Is Jesus better than anything else in my life right now? Right? Is Jesus better than my bucket list? Is Jesus better than just hanging out all weekend and doing whatever I want to and just having my way? Right? Is Jesus better now in my life? Those are just intuitive, practical questions we can ask for application. But the other thing is, and you may be picking this up, when we ask questions of the Bible, what can usually answer those questions? The Bible itself. So let's see if there's an application given to us in this text. Let's keep going. Go to verse 27. And shockingly, there is an application. Boom. Now, there isn't always an application. The, the writers of the Bible don't always spell it out, but this is one of the reasons I picked this passage to do Bible study. Paul just spells it out for us. In verse 27, he gives us an application. Now, before we get to this application, let me just zoom in a little bit and say something. This is not Bible study. This is preaching for a little bit. Parents, I want you to write this down. 26 to 1. That's a colon. That means it's a ratio, right? 26 to 1. Do you see, parents, this works if you're a boss, a CEO, a supervisor of any kind, that we have gone through 26 verses of this letter before he ever gets to one command. 26 verses of relationship, updates, prayer, gratitude, relationship, expressions of affection, expressions of love. 26 verses of that. Then finally, one command. Parents, what might it be like if we gave 26 expressions of our affection we gave 26 reminders of our love, 26 encouraging words to our children before our one command, right? 
what do you think would change in our relationship with our children? I know for me, sometimes it always feels like all day long, I'm like, hey, don't do this. No, do that. Stop that. Start this. Would you please do this the right way? No, you're doing it the wrong way, right? And then I get to bed. I'm putting the kids to bed at night, and I'm like, night, night. I love you, sweetheart, right? What are they going to hear? They're going to hear the 26 commands, and they're going to totally miss the one expression of affection, right? Parents, what if 26 expressions of affection, one command? If our, Your kids do need commands, by the way. That's important. It's valuable. It's what Paul's doing to the church. But what if our commands were supported by and empowered by our loving relationship with our children? Okay? So, mark it down. Take note. That wasn't really Bible study. That was more preaching. But there we go. Okay, so... Now what we're going to do is actually look at this command. This is our application that Paul spells out for us. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So the command is, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. The word only is a connecting word. And to me, when I see the word only in the Bible, I go... Ding, ding, ding. I need to pay attention to this. This is important. It's like Paul is saying, hey, if you only remember one thing, if you only do one thing, do this one thing. So I'm thinking I need to pay attention to this command. He says, only let your manner of life, abbreviations, um, be worthy of the gospel. And then another connecting word, so that... When I come to you, I may hear, or whether I, if I don't get to come to you, I may hear of you that you are. Now, Paul is about to spell out what it means for our lives to be worthy of the gospel. So he's saying, hey, whenever I come to you, I want to hear these things. And when I hear these things, I will know that you have been living, you have been obeying this command to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And he gives us three things. Number one, standing firm in one spirit. Write these three things down. We'll get to them. Standing firm in one spirit. That's verse 27. He's saying our manner of life is worthy of the gospel. It is reflecting the gospel, pointing people back to the Jesus who saves us. When we hold fast, we stand up, we stand firm, we don't budge in one spirit. In one spirit. Now let me give you a little cheat sheet that I use all the time. Write down blueletterbible.org. Blue letter Bible.org. I do not know the Greek language. I do not know the Hebrew language. Blue Letter Bible at least lets me go back and look at all the vocabulary so that I can see the original language that the Bible is written in. So, I totally cheated on this. Anytime you hear me like quote the Greek in a sermon, totally cheating, okay? I did not go to seminary and I did not get that degree, but Blue Letter Bible helps do a lot of that work for me. The word spirit, stand firm in one spirit, is the word pneuma from which we get words like pneumatics or uh, pneumonia, right? It's lungs, it's breath. And the word pneuma can mean anything from the Holy Spirit, hagios pneuma, Holy Spirit, all the way to just like breathing, inhale, exhale. So he's saying stand firm in one spirit. Have a shared oxygen that you breathe. You guys should all breathe the same air. Live in the same environment. Take in your nutrients, your life. Sustain your, the life of your church using one oxygen. Okay, Paul, that sounds cool. What is that one oxygen? Let's keep reading in the text to see if he answers that question. He goes on and he says, With one mind... 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's our one oxygen, right? Keep the main thing, the main thing is what Eric said last Sunday. And Paul's keeping the main thing, the main thing. He's like, hey, stand firm in one spirit and then strive side by side. Man, when you hold each, other, each other's arms up in battle, you're fighting through life, you're encouraging one another, you're challenging one another. What are you doing that with? Do it with the gospel for the faith of the gospel. I need to be reminded to believe the gospel. I need guys and gals in my life who are saying, Doug, don't forget Jesus Christ. Do you want to do this on your own and with your own strength? Remember the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. This past uh, Monday, Andy and I go to Chick-fil-A. We talk about life. We talk about jobs. We talk about kids. We talk about marriage. And we talk about the gospel. Are you believing the gospel in this area? Are you trusting Jesus Christ in this area? That is what it means to fight side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's why city groups are such a big deal around here. You hear us talk about city groups pretty much every single week because we need people coming alongside of us and saying, Hey, listen, remember the gospel. Believe the gospel. Have faith in Jesus Christ. So let me get just a little bit preachy again. Notice what he said we're fighting for. We're not fighting to be nicer. We're not fighting to stop doing certain things. We're fighting for what? Faith. We are fighting to believe the gospel. At root, the the expressions, the, the actions and the behaviors of our life always connect back to our beliefs. What we believe, who we trust. For example, there's a Bible verse, Acts 20, verse 35. And it says, Jesus said this, He says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. I quote that Bible verse to our children a lot. Okay? Because, you know, they're fighting, they're trying to keep their toys, and I'm like, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Sometimes it's annoying to them. But here's what happens. Whenever they're fighting, they're keeping their toys, they're pushing their sister away so that they can have whatever they want, that sort of thing. What I try to do on my good days is enter into that and calmly say, hey, Gabby, you remember that Bible verse that I've shared with you a few times? She's like, no. Okay. It is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I was like, Gabby, that literally means that it's more happy when you share your toys than when you keep them for yourself. And I, then I pray with her and I say, let's ask God to help you believe that Bible verse, to believe that promise. And when you believe that, Gabby, I think it's going to change the way you act towards Shiloh. So we pray. And sometimes we have to do the whole like, hey, you get five minutes, you get five minutes. You have to do that sometimes. And we always make them apologize, that sort of thing. But at root, at the root, what I'm trying to get to is their faith. What are they believing? What are they trusting? And every single time, I think I can say this with integrity, every single time our kids leave that conversation and they say, no, it is better to share. I'm going to trust what the Bible says. 30 minutes later, they are much happier. They're singing songs, just living in like a wonderful world with their sister or their brother. Like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, look, kids, it is happier when you share. You double the joy instead of chopping it in half, right? At root, what we are getting at is their belief. And that belief affected their behavior. That's what we do also as a church. And that's what we want to do in city groups. When someone shares in city group and they share a struggle, our temptation is, hey, do this, do this, stop doing this. You've got to start learning how to do that, that sort of thing. But at root, what we need and what they need when we open up and share their struggles is, hey, let's go back to the gospel. 
What has Jesus Christ done on your behalf? What has Jesus Christ promised to you? Let's believe that's true. Put your faith in Him. Put your trust in Him. And then that changes and affects your behavior in your marriage, at your work, at school, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Let's strive with one mind uh, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, last thing that Paul gives us for how to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel is don't be scared, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, we are not going to dig into that because I think I've already gone over my time, but this is awesome. You guys got, I think, three more verses left in chapter 1 so that you guys can go home this week and do some digging yourself. You can find the connecting words. You can like diagram the sentences. You can use charts, whatever it is, so that you can discover what's it saying, what does it mean, and then what does it change in my life. So suffice it to say, don't be scared is what Paul is saying there. But you guys can dig in and kind of get the innards of it, draw out the life of it, and enjoy it this week. Amen? Okay, you guys tracked with me pretty well. You guys got like your page full of notes, good stuff like that. Hopefully that gives you some tools to make your devotions this week richer. So that when you wake up in the morning, you open your Bible, you're not like, what do I do? At least now maybe there's some tools there, right? What does it say? What does it mean? What does it change? So let me close this morning with just a few applications. First, City Light, let's be a church who loves the Bible, okay? Let's be a church who like, we, we like reading our Bibles. It's not what we do because that's what Christians are supposed to do, but we like reading our Bibles. We dig into it. And as we dig into it, the Holy Spirit has promised He will give us life from there. Every scripture is breathed out by God. Dig in and get that breath of God to sustain you. Let's be people of the Bible. And secondly, let's just draw some applications from these three things that Paul gives us. Let's stand firm in one spirit. City Light, may our oxygen, may our breath all come from one source, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone walks in on a Sunday morning to our gatherings or they come to your city group, whenever they leave, let's pray and hope that they're saying, well, we know what they're all about. They would not shut up about Jesus. Jesus has done this for me. Jesus has done that for me. This is what Jesus will do for you, right? Let's make Jesus the oxygen that we breathe. He is our main thing. Secondly, let's help each other believe the gospel. Point one another back to Jesus. When you open up in City Group, when you open up and share at breakfast here on a Sunday morning, let's point people back to the grace that is in Jesus Christ and remind them of all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus has promised. And third, let's resist fear as a church. It will always be easy to give in to fear. And say, oh, this isn't going to work out. Oh, this isn't what we really want it to be. Let's resist that fear and ask Jesus to come and replace that fear with faith in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys for sticking with me. We're going to pray now and then take communion. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Um, You are good and your scriptures are so good. Thank you for how you open them up and you illuminate them through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray... Um, for this morning, but I'm really interested in and I'm praying and I'm hoping for the next seven days. Whenever we get a break at um, work for 10 or 15 minutes or we're on our lunch break or we're waking up early with a cup of coffee, 
and we open our Bibles, God, would you speak to us? So that we say, hey, I got a word from God. He's alive and He's speaking even today. And I saw it right here in Philippians 1.28. I heard from Him right here in Philippians 1.21. God, would you be speaking to our church through the Scriptures? Would you come alive in our church as we study the Bibles um, alone, as we study the Bibles in our city group, as we study the Bible on Sunday mornings? Breathe your life into us so that we see what it says, we see what it means, we see what it changes in us and what it changes in our lives. And now, God, we thank you for communion. Every single Sunday, like Eric said, communion points us back to the main thing. Our oxygen, our food, our drink, what keeps us going is you, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we remember you. We come and we partake of you. Thank you for breaking your body, giving up your very own body for the local church. And we remember that as we take the bread. And thank you for spilling your blood, being the holy, pure, eternal sacrifice for us. And we remember that as we drink the juice this morning. Oh God, would you be rich in the word? Would you be rich in communion? Be rich in our singing and our praising. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.